space for two families and there's three families that want to live in a certain area. How do you decide which families stay and which families go? And so first they started by deciding on rules for this. So how would you prioritize who would stay and who would go? And they asked folks to identify criteria they would use to decide on that. So for example, if someone had a job nearby, if they had a physical disability, if they were a single parent. And so they asked for those ideas, and then people actually, they brainstormed them, and then the residents themselves voted on which of those are most important. So they ended up with a list of ranked priorities for deciding who would stay and who would go in cases where there was conflict. Following that, then came the really tricky part of, of deciding where people's houses would go, uh, where people would move to. And for that, what they did is fascinating. They, they basically adapted the game Tetris. So they had these maps of the blocks and cut out different shapes from kind of colored transparency paper. So there were you know, purple rectangles and green squares and L's, each of them representing 90 meters squared, which is that basic minimum lot size. And they asked the residents themselves to rearrange the pieces on a map to decide basically on a new land use plan. That's so interesting. So how did it work out in the end? Was there conflict? Yeah, so I mean, th there was conflict during that, and it's, I don't want to say it's a conflict-free process. No. What, they, what the game did is it made that conflict more manageable and it allowed people to, to overcome it. So there were people who didn't want to move, and they started out the process not wanting to move, and it was through this game where some of that conflict was displaced onto the map. So it wasn't me versus you, it wasn't neighbor versus neighbor, it was how are we going to rearrange these pieces on a map? And so that refocused people's attention so that they were able to step back a bit from their personal conflicts and reach agreements. For example, there was this one guy, Mario, at one of the workshops, and this was probably the second or third workshop. So they already started developing the plan, they had some basic contours for it, and this guy, Mario, this big beefy guy, had a you know, pulled back hair with a little cap on, and he's just staring at the map as people are going through this exercise, and suddenly he points to this one spot on the map where there's a, a road, and he's very furious and just yells out, you know, that, that's my house. And you can see there's a, even a skull tattoo on his hands, and he's saying, you know, my, my dad built that house with his bare hands. I've lived there my entire life, and now you're saying that I have to move because the city wants to put a road there. And he was furious, and I should mention, too, that this is in a situation of a lot of violence. So there had actually been, in addition to the stabbing I mentioned before, there had been a few gunpoint robberies of staff in the weeks beforehand where residents of the same shantytown had come into the office and pointed the gun at, at staff's head and, and robbed them right there in the office in broad daylight and walked back out. So I didn't know what was going to happen, to be honest. I started inching towards the door. The facilitators <laughs> looked at each other nervously. And, and that's when the most amazing thing happened, where um, the facilitators didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. Actually, this guy's neighbors spoke up, and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The reason the road is going here is because of the rules that we agreed on, because this is the only way that we're going to get running water, that we're going to get electricity, that we're going to get uh, our own land. And you will get a new house. You will get a new house that's actually better than your current one on a new plot of land, and you'll get to decide where that is. And gradually started explaining to this guy how it was part of this whole system they had agreed on that was resulting in him moving. And he, he still wasn't happy by any means, and he asked staff to go check with the planning department and see if they could redesign uh, the streets. But he said, you know, if they can't, I'll move. It's okay. You know, I hear what you're saying, but it's still very local. It's very, very locally participatory, right? Like, I'm, this is my house, the road that affects my life. If you extrapolate this out to a bigger area, to a state, to a nation, how does this work on a much bigger scale, like a national scale? Can it? 
They, they certainly can. I mean, maybe just to get there, we'll take it up one level higher, so the city level. So in a large city. And so one of the other programs I looked at was in Toronto, in Toronto Community Housing. And second largest housing authority in North America, 164,000 tenants, people living across the city in a wide range of buildings. And the city there launched a program called participatory budgeting, which I also do a lot of work on outside of the book. And basically, it let residents of these buildings decide how to spend a part of the housing authority's budget through a, a, a format that used a lot of games and game design, like I described in Rosario, where people themselves were putting together proposals, voting on them, working in teams, and through that, deciding how to spend real money across the entire city. But as we know, I mean, I'm in America, right? I mean, I think you had it in your book, but there's a recent poll that said only 22% of Americans trust their government at all. Do you think games could restore faith that's gone that far away from what we believe in? I do. I think games and really game design, that's what I'm emphasizing most.